Welcome to episode 24 of the Ministry at Scale podcast, where we share tips and trends from industry leaders to help you multiply your digital impact. Today, I had a powerful conversation with Jonathan Pitts, who has led large ministries and small startup ministries. You'll gain a perspective on how you, as a digital leader, can better influence your upper management to make quality investments in the ministries that, that you're engaged in. One of the areas we talk about is the importance of bringing solid data to your leadership to help them make good decisions. One of the ways you can do that is by participating in 5Q's ministry benchmark study. You can find out about it at 5Q.com benchmark. In addition, Jonathan shares from his very personal experience of learning to trust God and lead your family when you're walking through the grief of losing a spouse. I'm telling you, you're in for a very powerful interview. Oftentimes, ministries will jump into something and be like, oh my gosh, it's not working right now, so I'm going to pull out and I'm going to stop spending that money. And they end up cutting themselves short, and if they would have just stuck with it or stick with it and make adjustments as you go, they could have seen different results. Welcome to the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Well, today I'm actually super humbled to have Jonathan Pitts joining us. Jonathan is a best-selling author. He's a pastor. He currently serves as a chief strategist with Dunham and Company. He's also president and co-founder of For a Girl Like You Ministries. Um, he, he's got lots of irons in the fire. Uh, it, before all of that, he actually served as the executive director with the Urban Alternative, the ministry of Dr. Tony Evans. In addition to all that, he just recently released a book called My Winter Season. And uh, when I first started reading that book, even from the, from the very first, I was touched and honestly brought to tears as I was reading about some of his experiences. So Jonathan, super, super pleased to have you on the show today and just, just want to say welcome. Chad, it's good to be with you today and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Good, good. So, so Jonathan, you've got a, really a wide breadth of experience serving inside of, of large international ministries, but also startup ministries. So just, just brought, walk us through your experiences that, that God has brought you to the place where you're working with Dunham and you're also a pastor and you're also running an, another, another, another ministry, a nonprofit. Just kind of walk us through the experiences that God, is, that God has taken you through. Yeah, well, it's, it's really interesting. I didn't plan any of it. I'll start by saying that. I actually graduated from Drexel University in Philadelphia in 03 and thought I was going to live in sales, consulting, kind of relationship management roles. And uh, I would, but different than I thought. I thought I was going to go into like, I was in pharma sales for a while and did some IT consulting as my degree and um, really married my wife, Winter, in uh, June of 2003 and would visit her uncle, a guy named Tony Evans, uh, that next winter after having our first daughter and God would radically shift our lives. I was actually in a, in a job for a big pharma company. They downsized and they downsized, gave me this, what I would consider a massive severance package when I was 23. And I had to decide what do I do with my future? And uh, we were in Dallas on vacation with her family. And I guess it was December of 04. And um Dr. Tony Evans, her uncle, who I didn't know who he was at the time, um, just asked Winter, he said, what do you do for a living? And uh, she said, well, I'm a grant writer. And long story short, if you know Tony Evans, or if you ever met him, he tried to recruit you. If you're any good at what you do, he tried to recruit you. And so he, uh, 
he recruited Winter to work at the church. She was a grant writer. She was, that was her, her uh, background was communications and marketing and became a grant writer for the church. We'd moved to Texas from New Jersey where we were at the time and uh, just got had this massive shift in our lives. So all of a sudden I find myself in Texas and I'm looking for a job and actually started working for Nielsen Media Research and mm -hmm. uh, just a regular job, worked from home, it was a good job. But at the same time, uh, Anthony Evans Jr., Winter's cousin, asked if I would help him on the road. So I, long story short, I started traveling with Anthony just as kind of like a weekend kind of fun hustle and would spend the next seven years of my life managing him. I'd go from road managing him to managing him, managing his entire ministry um, and uh, would do that for seven years. Uh, those seven years would bleed into a couple of years of working at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, Dr. Evans Church. I was a membership, uh, I was a membership representative for Nielsen Media Research, and I would actually become the membership director of Oak Cliff Bible mm -hmm. Fellowship of the church. Working at the church would, and really doing events with Anthony Evans Jr. as a worship leader and singer, um, and working at the church, I do a lot of work with Dr. Evans. And what I would say is I built enough trust with the family to just continue to be trusted. And so I would work at the church for four years as I managed Anthony for seven, those years would overlap. And when Lois, the late Lois Evans, uh, Dr. Evans' wife, when she uh, was ready to step down from the ministry in 2012, they asked if I would consider leading the Urban Alternative. Uh, it was my first executive role. I thought I was good enough probably seven years before that to lead as an executive, and I probably wasn't. But uh, anyway, 2012, I stepped in as executive director of the Urban Alternative. I always say I was close enough to be trusted, far enough away to be fired in the family sense. And I would just really grow up in the Evans brand of ministry. I spent seven years running the Urban Alternative, um, cut my teeth in fundraising there, uh, cut my teeth in executive leadership there, would really be mentored um, in that role. And uh, yeah, spent 14 years of my life in the Evans brand of ministry. And uh, two, uh, one was a for-profit, a couple of nonprofits, including a church and the, uh, the Urban Alternative, which is a radio broadcast ministry and um, the teaching ministry of Tony Evans. And would really go from there um, in 2018, would make a decision um, with my wife uh, to come to uh, to Nashville to be the executive pastor at Church of the City, which is a multiple um, location church, multiple churches, um, living in the way of Jesus for the renewal of the city. And so I've been here two and a half years, a uh, little over, almost three years, actually, mm -hmm. served as executive pastor for the last two and a half years. And I've just stepped into more of a kind of a traditional um, just pastoral role, not senior pastor, but a pastoral role that's mm -hmm. freed me up to do some different things. And so now I find myself uh, leading um, for girls like you, the ministry my wife started um, uh, at Church of the City as a pastor, then just do, doing some strategy work, chief strategy work for Dunham & Company, which is awesome. And a real gift to me because I really I really love, um, at the core of who I am, you can kind of see it behind me and my strength finders, I'm an arranger. And so in ministry, I love arranging pieces, teams, systems, just all the different yeah. things to get people in the right place, systems uh, working well. And it's just really been a passion for me for several years now. So that's where I'm at. And I, I got here by no choice of my own, but God was leading the entire time. So I love hearing stories like that and how, how God takes the experiences that we have, like you're leading the events for Nielsen, for the Nielsen company. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. God's got you doing membership events on the church side of things. Yeah. The, uh, it was he, kind of a sense of humor in that. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. He has a way of preparing us for what that next step is, even when we, when we don't know what that is. Yeah. Our audience, folks that have an interest in growing their digital, their digital impact. Mm -hmm. So you know, you've had an opportunity to really to be able to do that in, in a lot of different areas. And so at a, at a little different level than what we've had on here before, in terms of a lot of times we're dealing with the people who are directly leading the, uh, the charge. Now you are the executive, executive director urban alternative. And so 
what, what are some of the ways that you did to help scale the digital impact of whether it be the urban alternative or your, your, the churches you've been in, in, engaged with, or even the, the, the ministry you're involved with now? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty broad question. Um, I guess I would say, you know, I really learned everything I learned about um, most of what I learned about digital and scaling ministry specifically in um, the digital arena came through the urban alternative. You know, I was when I was with Anthony, um, you know, we had a website and but we weren't we weren't donor driven like a lot of your ministries are probably donor revenue driven. And so when I came to the urban alternative, it was the first place I was in where um, donor revenue was a significant part of what we did. And uh, I would say first and foremost, and it's funny that there are ministries that still aren't here, but the reality um, of actually prioritizing digital over what Mm. we'd consider to be traditional before. I mean, you have direct mail, you have all these different avenues for raising money, you have all these different avenues for introducing people to your ministry and telling them the story of what your ministry is doing. And I would say, um, first of all, just valuing digital as a space that not only should you be in, but you should be investing in significantly. And Mm -hmm. if you don't invest, you won't see a return. And so for us, that looked like um, upgrading, upgrading systems um, and hiring team members that would be solely responsible for our digital uh, Mm -hmm. footprint and our digital, um, our digital work. And up until that point, when I got to the urban alternative, um, it really was a lot of traditional methods for telling the story, uh, fundraising, you know, and, and we were dabbling in the digital. And so we, we basically made a big swing from dabbling and dabbling, dabbling in digital. And um, we made a swing to not, not dabbling in digital to like primary driver is digital. And then, you know, direct mail and all these other different pieces supporting the digital that we were doing. Mm-hmm. And so prioritizing it, investing in it, investing in our website, investing in our um, mm-hmm. our donation platform, uh, investing in our CRM, like just investing in ways like prioritizing data, looking at data, valuing data, you know, things that it's oftentimes, it's hard for ministries to realize how important those things are. And, yeah. you know, when you're spending donor money, it's always hard to justify how you're going to spend it, but it's a worthy investment. And uh, so I would say first and foremost, valuing it enough to invest in it would probably be the thing I would say as a, as a guy that's not a techie guy in the space yeah. necessarily, um, just valuing it and valuing it as a, as a, as a, a legitimate platform where people are living at these days, not just visiting, they're living there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. When I talk, interact with ministries, I, I like to say, well, who at the executive level, has the seat at the table representing their digital initiatives. Mm-hmm. So what did that look like at the urban, urban alternative? Did you have like a digital director or a, a chief digital officer, or was it a part of marketing or part of, part of fundraising or, or part of ministry outreach? I know some of the ministries that I've worked in the past, the, the, uh, we saw digital as a, a parallel to radio and mm-hmm. uh, was it actually, what can we do to see it as a ministry outreach? So how, how did, what was the mindset that, that the, the ministry had around digital? Yeah, well, by God's grace, the person who actually taught me the most about digital was actually our uh, chief marketing officer. I think at the time she was called director of market, director of marketing and development, but her name was is Heather, and uh, she's incredible, incredibly gifted um, at marketing, incredibly gifted at storytelling, but also really learned at understanding um, everything from social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram. She actually, we were one of the first HubSpot. uh, I think we were the first ministry nonprofit client Mm -hmm. of HubSpot actually. And that's because she was just so early on and, and learning how important it was to, you know, to be investing in those kind of tools. And so uh, we, we got a a great ministry discount, I think because of that, but uh, Heather taught me a ton about that as a chief marketing officer, she would build a digital team, to be honest. And Mm -hmm. before that, the ministry didn't value it. So my job as the, as the uh, executive director was valuing what she was telling me enough to invest in the things that she thought should be the priority, trusting her with that. And then, and giving the resource in order to do that. So uh, she had a seat at the table. She built a digital team. 
Um, and really for me, it was in my role, convincing Dr. Evans that it was valuable enough to invest in, you know, Dr. Evans, the baby boomer for sure. And that wasn't really where we were as a ministry and we were doing well as a ministry. But I mean, when you look at uh, how we grew as a ministry, how we scaled as a ministry, when we started investing um, in our digital platforms, uh, it's unbelievable uh, just kind of what happened. And so, but that's everything from the platforms themselves, um, you know, um, uh, utilizing those platforms, investing in um, uh, even buy, even buying just some real estate in those in Facebook and Instagram, but really video content, uh, leveraging video content, um, capturing more video content and realizing how important that was to our story and our journey. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was across the board, but our, yeah, our chief, chief marketing officer, I think she was director of uh, marketing and uh, development. Now I think chief marketing officer was mm -hmm. really critical in that. And my role was advocating for what she was, what she was looking for and valuing it enough to advocate for it. Yeah. I think that's so critical that as a, as a ministry leader that you have, that you have the right seat at the table. So you, that, so the digital has a voice so that it can be truly represented with all the other things that are going on in, in, the, in the ministry space. So kudos to you to recognize that, to, to give trust to somebody like Heather and, uh, um, to lean into that. Yeah. The other, th the other thing I would say with that is um, you think about YouTube. I mean, that was one of the yeah. platforms that we were barely using that we began investing in significantly. And the shift of looking at YouTube is just this sort of, you know, uh, secondary channel because mm. we're on, we were on radio, I think 1300 different stations across the country. We're on television. We're paying all this money for radio and television, mm -hmm. investing significant dollars. And we found ourselves not investing really much anything in, in our, in our YouTube channel and our presence on YouTube, which is really about capture and looking at that platform as like a legitimate platform, as big as any station we were on uh, was yep. really critical. And then other platforms like it, obviously um, some ministry platforms that are uh, video content driven and just looking at that as a really important space to be in was critical for us as well. I don't know what the mindset that you had. I know in the early days, like I'm talking late nineties, I was working for a ministry similar to Urban Alternative, and one of the ways that we were able to justify resources, we said, okay, if we if our website were a radio station, how much would we invest in it? Mm. And, and 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 that helped, you know, like what you said. Sometimes those platforms, like a website, the impact was a lot more than any single radio station. So yeah. why not invest similar amounts to what you're doing in a Salem or other other radio stations? And uh, sounds like you had a similar mindset when you looked at you know, YouTube as, a as itself can be a, a platform to, to drive new, well, it can drive ministry and it can also drive, drive new names to the ministry and, and everything that comes with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the same thing, not just for the actual platforms, but also staffing as well. You know, I think yeah, one of the things absolutely. ministries struggle with is to, we'll pay a consultant to do some things that we'd never pay a staff member for. And it's like your staff members are as valuable as anything that you have in your organization. Yeah. So being yeah. willing to invest, I think being willing to invest in general and trust that your investment is going to have a return is really important and making sure that you don't have uh, preconceived biases to how you would do that, you know, and so, so whether it be investing in a staff person or investing in a consultant or a, a or outsourced resource, because ultimately your investment is going to pay dividends and just not being afraid to invest and test. Testing is really important, I would say. So, yeah. So when you shifted to YouTube, because I know that's a, that's a tough shift for a lot of ministries that we interact with because they're, they're used to the audio, they're used to the audio production, but then shifting to, to, to a, a YouTube type thing, what are some of the things, processes that you went through or that Heather went through 
to, to actually develop good video quality coming from an audio radio ministry? Yeah, well, first we had to hire the right team. Uh, you know, when uh, Heather came on probably about a year before I did, and I, you know, I got there and there was actually a group, really great creative kind of storytelling group that began creating creating creative content of not just Dr. Evans as a teacher from the platform in a church, which is really primarily what we had up until that point, him teaching in a church in his suit, you know, just kind of the traditional thing, but actually treating it, treating the audience specific, mm. not just thinking, oh, we can just throw up this old content and that's going to work well. So we would, we'd, we'd start producing kind of original content, mm -hmm. really creative content, really good looking content, high uh, production value content. It was an investment, mm -hmm. but to put anything else up, I mean, you can look at the, you can look at the views and see the difference between the high quality content and the, you know, the traditional content that we had. And so we really invested in the production value itself uh, first and foremost, and, you know, just knew that that needed to happen. And we would, you know, just test and tweak and just continue to adjust over time. And the other thing that we had to do because the urban alternative and the church are two different organizations. So we also had to influence the production value at the, at the, at the church, which is a whole nother job to do two different ministries with two very different purposes, one national in scope, one local in scope and mm -hmm. trying to work as best we could together to kind of to better the production value of, of the content was really important. And that does really matter on YouTube. You know, when somebody goes to YouTube, they expect to see a certain level of quality that might not have been true of, you know, uh, and it's getting more true of ministries now. You think about um, some of the traditional, even uh, Christian television. I won't name names or anything, but the content has, the quality of the content has gotten better. Has gotten better, and I'm glad to see that happening and that catching up. Where the content in the ministry world is, you know, it's not lagging as far behind the culture as it has been in the past. Um, so, upping production value, caring about creative, not just the content in terms of the teaching or. Um, yeah, not just the teaching or whatever the message you're trying to convey, but knowing that it matters what that message looks like as it's packaged. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what I what I like to talk about is like I think it was McCollum that said the media is the message. The medium mm -hmm. is the message, and so you've got Dr. Evans preaching from a pulpit. That's one medium. Mm -hmm. Taking that to the other other mediums such as radio, and then to to YouTube or to video is, is treating that the audience is unique, the medium is unique, and the content can be the same as, but it has to be shaped for the different audience and the different medium. Yeah, yeah, customized, no doubt. Yeah. So, so as a as a as an executive leader inside the ministry, who had oversight for the digital space, I'm sure you had some really sharp younger folks on your team who are probably bringing ideas, like bubbling up ideas. And some of them were great ideas and some of them probably weren't good ideas. And so if you were to sit down with a director of digital and say, hey, you know, if you have an idea that you want to get executive buy-in, here's how the best way to do that. How would you advise them? Yeah, I mean, I would say, uh, I think I, it's not something I valued um, in my earliest years kind of directing a ministry, but I value now, and that is testing, that mm -hmm. if you're going to bring an idea, I want to know what that idea should lead to and how you're going to test getting to that point. So I can just understand how much more we should invest in it or how much less we should invest in it based on the outcomes, based on what you're saying you're, we're going to achieve from, you know, do, do, you know, taking advantage of this new idea or using this new platform or testing out this new welcome series, whatever the thing might be, like, let's just test it all along the way. And yeah. as we test, we can prove whether or not it's something that's working or not working. And we're not just doing it because we think it's a good idea. We're doing it because it's actually proving value to the ministry. And that could be, that could be in terms of eyeballs on a video, or that could be 
donor dollars that could be there's any number of metrics it could be but ultimately just going in already knowing what we want the outcome to be and testing it all along the way and making adjustments um mm -hmm. i think that's the, the key in the digital space anyway is just always being willing to adjust yeah. never being stuck on one idea one thought um because things change things shift audiences change audiences shift like there's so much it's so much less um uh, there's so much less you can expect as the audience as the audience changes or as the platform changes. So I, I would just say always be willing to test and always be looking um, to make adjustments based on the results of your testing. Yeah, that's that's good. Being able to bring something to the executive team saying, here's what we expect the results to be, mm -hmm. may or may not be, and here's how we're going to test it, and here's how we're going to see. And what what about like you mentioned preconceived notions? How important it for it was how important was it for you that they that they tied the expense going into something to a dollar amount that the ministry might receive from it on the back end or was that much of a consideration for you yeah i mean we'd look at different you know you'd uh, one of the things that you try to do as much as you can is understand what what you sh what should you expect in terms of roi so for direct mail there's one type of roi and for digital platforms, it's another ROI. And depending on what, which platform it is, it's a, so I think understanding what you should expect, like what's an industry standard is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Now that does change from ministry to ministry, you know, depending on, you know, what you do and, and all that. But I think at least having some expectation going in is really helpful yeah. um, so that you're not disappointed. Like, for example, I, th I think about even, you know, I know tr with traditional mail, like people would just pull out of it because they're like, oh my gosh, the return on investment. Well, it's like, well, this is what you should expect. It should, it will take this long for it to work. And I think digital is much the same. People go in wanting an immediate return on their investment. And that's not always the case. It's most often not the case. So there's going to take some level of, you want to be committed to um, whether it be a platform or whether it be a process for at least a certain amount of time and, and, and going in knowing what that should look like um, from an industry standard perspective is actually really helpful if you can. So, mm -hmm. you know, like say, for example, you're going to invest in growing your um, uh, Instagram account. Well, there's, there's some state, I don't know what it is off the top of my head right now, but there should be some standard in terms of investing yeah. in an ROI on that. And it's not going to be immediate, you know? And so oftentimes ministry, ministries will jump into something and be like, Oh my gosh, it's not working right now. So I'm going to pull out. I'm going to stop spending that money. And they end up, cutting themselves short and if they would have just stuck with it or stick with it and make adjustments as you go, they could have seen different results. Um, so that's why I think it's always good to go in saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to spend this much money or we're going to spend this much time. We're going to give it this much runway yep. to where you already, you already commit knowing I'm not going to pull I'm not going to pull out, you know, early on because I wanted, I want to see this test through. I want to see this investment through to see if it has an ROI, which means you got to be willing to risk and you got to be willing to lose. Uh, everything doesn't win. Yep. <laughs> so you got to be right. willing to lose some that's in order right. to win some. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. No, that's, that's really good. I, you know, when it comes to that, uh, investment side and, and knowing what to expect. I, I, I really appreciate that because sometimes, especially ministries that have been around a long time, they have a certain way of doing things. And uh, for a leader to be able to go and say, hey, we're just gonna, we're gonna test this. And small wins first can equal yep. big wins later on and yep. being willing to, to test that early. And I just I just met with a ministry today who um, basically is, so they're a nonprofit, but they've been selling a product and then they've engaged the major donor community to ask for major mm -hmm. gifts, which is working for them, mm -hmm. but they've never invested in uh, growing, um, you know, uh, the top of the funnel and, and the smaller donors. And I was just encouraging them, like, why don't you just try, like, just give it a mm -hmm. test, like, just do like one, one, uh, one project and just say, Hey, we're going to invest 
this much time, this much money. And I don't even know what it is yet. It could be an email series, could be, yeah. you know, there's a couple of ways they could go about it, but ultimately like they have to be on the test. And the reason you want to start with a small win is because you get that small win. It makes you hungry for the next bigger win, you know? Right. And so I do, th I, I love what you said, you know, if you can, if you can get a small win, it does, it does set you up well for the next one. And it encourage you, encourage you to spend the money or the time or the resource in order to, to get to that next level. So. The other, the other thing that you mentioned is the importance of being able to have benchmarks to be able to say, okay, this is what the industry standard is. You know, mm -hmm. And right now, in a lot of ways, ministries are kind of like, you might be able to, ministries are like floating out there, but not really knowing what should the expectation be. And I'm just going to put a soft plug. We're actually, we have going on right now a, a, a digital ministry benchmark study where wow. we have dozens of ministries that are, that are providing their data. So, and then we're, we'll be able to share with them, hey, here's how you compare with the other ministries. Here's mm -hmm. some gaps that you can fill. And here's some areas where you're doing great. And so if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to go to 5q.com slash benchmark and just to sign up for our benchmark study. If that's something that you feel like would you'd have a need right now. So I'm going to grab that. When's that going to be done? Yeah. So we're taking applicants right now and we're, we're looking to have it completed probably by July. I think that's the, uh, that's the date that we're looking at for that. So awesome. It's great. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's one thing because oftentimes especially in the digital space, uh, the urban alternative was really early on because of Heather's work. And so oftentimes we were yeah. comparing ourselves to for-profit organizations and different industries. So to have benchmarks within the ministry space can be really yeah. helpful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, no, that's good. So I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because uh, you just published a book, I think it was last, just in February that just came out. And, uh, it, it talks about God's faithfulness when really, when really, when, face, when facing extreme grief. And that's based on when your wife winter passed away unexpectedly at age 38. And me personally, uh, you know, having been married for 28 some years, I, I can't imagine that. And uh, it, it's one thing to lean into the pain and experience and learn the lessons that God has for you, for you and your four daughters. But it's a whole nother thing to share that experience with others through a book. So, so just, just talk us through, you know, that experience and, and why you chose to publish the book and, and uh, what, what you hope that your readers will gain from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a, a toughest spot of my life for sure. It's a little less than three years ago now where I uh, would come home from work. I was actually in the transition from the urban alternative to Church of the City. I was in my last week of work at the Urban Alternative when uh, I would say goodbye to some of my uh, co-workers and go home on the Tuesday of my final week of work and um, would, uh, uh, my wife was taking a nap and I would walk in the bedroom and, and would find her really experiencing this cardiac event that I thought was like a seizure at the time. And she would literally pass away in my arms and um, super traumatic and super difficult. And um, uh, I've told that story a ton of times and uh, it never gets easier. But I, I think I, I wrote the book because I wanted people, uh, the thing that happened for me immediately is I could see God's hand, hmm. even in the most difficult circumstances of my life. I could see God working and providing for me and my girls. I could see how God even leveraged winter's life. And there's a, there's a scripture that I love. Acts 13, 36 says that David served the purposes of God for his generation. And then he fell hmm. asleep hmm. that David didn't not serve his purposes that God had. He served the purposes of God for his generation. Hmm. And then he fell asleep and that none of us, if we're in Christ, will not fulfill our purposes before we fall asleep. And so mm. one of the beautiful things for me with winter 
four girls they're now age 17 uh 14 and twins that just turned 12 on sunday the wow. may 2nd um congratulations uh, thank you thank you yeah. they were at the time 14 11 and my twins were nine when winter passed away and i had these four girls that i knew i needed to get across the finish line i told i told winter um in the hospital as i was saying goodbye to her um you know the doctor said we have a pulse uh, but went, it went away we think you should come in and say goodbye and i just told her you don't have to worry about the girls i've got them don't worry about it and there were a couple of things I knew instinctively when she passed. Uh, one was I knew that I had to get my girls one through that season and that I would take care of them. I'd figure it out. I'd make a way. And if God was taking her home, that means he was entrusting me with them. And so I would have mm -hmm. to steward them. The other interesting thing is it's tied to purpose. Like Winter, um, by uh, really just on a whim, downloaded a free copy of Adobe InDesign, InDesign in 2011 and started creating a resource for girls called For Girls Like You. She didn't know it at the time, but she was developing a subscription-based magazine, unapologetically Christian, for tween girls that mm. now has a subscriber base all over the world, mm. the whole English-speaking world, plus a little bit more than that. And she was creating this resource and a ministry. But Winter wasn't a um, visionary. Well, she, she was a visionary. She was not a. She was not a builder. She was not a director. She was not somebody that wanted mm -hmm. to build a ministry. She created this mm -hmm. magazine by accident. Would go on to publish um, at this point more than. Um, uh, more than 18 different resources, devotionals, mm. coloring books, fictional books, all these different things. In a matter of matter of about five years, she she created uh, 11 resources, and there have been some that have been created wow. since her passing. But what's beautiful for me is I knew I was called to carry on Winter's mm. legacy and our girls, but I was always also ca called to carry on her legacy and our ministry. And that's the beautiful thing about God. Like God knows what He's doing, and His legacy is His legacy. And so Winter created this ministry. And I knew instinctively that was our fifth daughter that I was supposed to carry on. And so one of the things that God did for me, um, and I tell the story in the book, really it's laced through the book, is one of the gifts to me was carrying on this ministry that cre she created. She created this magazine called For Girls Like You. It was a, I called it a for-profit nonprofit because it never made any money. And I actually knew when she passed away that God would call me to flip it into a nonprofit, that the mission that she was on was much more valuable than we could ever raise the money in subscriptions because we weren't, she was never interested in advertising and raising revenue through advertising. So we flipped it to a nonprofit and I would begin doing what God called me to do in the nonprofit world, which is helping build nonprofits. And so for the last three years, I've helped build hers and hmm. all the things that your ministries are thinking about, I think about with her ministry daily. Uh, and for girls like you, it's got a sales component with subscriptions. It's got a yeah. donation component with um, donors. And most of our donors come from parents that are pleased with the ministry that we've done for their daughters and for their families, because it's a ministry to, to, to girls and their parents, tween girls and their parents. And so you know, I just, the, the book is really stories of how God not only provided, um, and he has, but also how he just showed up in my situation. And so I wrote it because I wanted people to know, if you look for God, ultimately, you'll always find him. Paul says, uh, Philippians chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Then he goes on to say, that's Philippians 4, 4, I think. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, think about these things. Well, Paul's saying that from jail, to the Philippian church, which are all being persecuted and not treated great for being Christians. And he, he's saying in whatever circumstance you're in, look for what's true, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And for me, I could see that all over the place. For whatever reason, God had opened my eyes to that. Um, one, that Winter had built this ministry for girls. First, she poured into our four daughters in ways that they are now these resilient, beautiful girls that have walked through a really hard time. And God still got them. They still love him. And um, I've watched them... Um, I've just watched them grow in the Lord. It's been awesome. But also this ministry that she created that has gone on beyond her life. And that's actually what real legacy is. It's whatever we invest in that goes on beyond us. And so 
it's been my joy um, just to be a part of stewarding that and that God wired me to be that guy. Like I always think about winter being in heaven now, like, Hey, I did my job. Like my work is done. You take it from here. I have no interest yeah. in growing a ministry. And what's beautiful is that the, the only re reason we've been able to scale when, we, when she passed away we had 1200 subscribers, we now have 5,000 subscribers. Wow. And the reason we're scaling is because God's kind enough. He, um, we decided the year before she passed away, we wanted to invest in the ministry and, hi and hire an editor in chief. Well, six months before she died, we would take a big risk, hire an editor in chief. Her name's Roberta. She'd work on three issues with Winter, and there's no way we would hmm. would have been able to keep the ministry had we not invested in this um, in this editor in chief. And that goes to the point of in order to scale ministry, you have to invest. And we made an investment. We didn't even see how we were going to pay her at the time. And uh, God's just been really really generous. Obviously, flipping the ministry into a nonprofit has allowed me to tell the story, which is another big part of your ministry is telling your story. And we've yeah. been able to do that. And God's been really kind. And I've been able to be a part of a much smaller ministry than the Urban Alternative. That's uh, that's um, been a really, really fun one to invest in that my family's been able to engage in. And it's also been a real heart work for me and a healing, mm -hmm. kind of a part of my healing as well. So I don't know if I answered your question, yeah. but I just went off on a tangent. So no, no, that's 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 fantastic. I mean, I appreciate what you say about legacy. A lot of, a lot of times people think about legacy as something that, that you leave when you die, which it is, but legacy, you're, what we do today is building that legacy. Mm -hmm. And so being intentional to think about what am I doing today that's actually going to have a difference on legacy down the road. And because we don't, the, the Lord knows the number of our days, but we don't, which yeah. you, uh, I mean, you obviously experience that firsthand and just the, the importance of thinking about legacy when, when you're younger, I think is, is, is huge. How, so I've got four daughters, no, mm -hmm. three daughters. I got three daughters, four, four sons. <laughs> yeah, I should. Well, you got seven kids. It's hard to remember what you have. <laughs> you know, people say, well, how old are they? So, it changes every year. I forget. <laughs> right. <laughs> but how did you help your daughters through that period of grief? Because I can imagine they were asking all kinds of questions, not just of, of you, but of about God and who God is and where is God in this? How did you yeah. help them through that? I'll tell a story real quick. Um, I think when I, when, when winter first passed away, I thought it was my job to basically shoehorn everything mm. for them. And I'll never forget walking up the steps. My oldest daughter's told this story so I can tell it, but I remember walking up the steps and her bedroom's right to the right there. And uh, her name's Alina. And uh, I remember looking in her bedroom, she's on her bed, she's crying and just kind of under her blankets. And I was like, what's going on? You okay? And obviously I know she's not okay. But she wouldn't talk to me. And so I went into her bedroom, like, just talk to me, just share with me what's going on. And it took her a long time, but eventually she'd say, dad, I'm having a hard time believing that God is um, real. And if he's real, I'm having a hard time believing that he's good. And you would have thought that she gave me personal insults the way that I reacted. And what I would realize, and I didn't, couldn't label it then, but I label now as a codependent relationship that when she's happy, I'm happy. When she's sad, I'm sad. And it's my job to make her happy. And Honestly, I, I never forget going to my bedroom after that moment, knowing that I was wrong and um, and just repenting of um, mm. of needing her to be something for me. And so from that point, that was probably six months into my journey, somewhere between six and eight months into that journey, I decided through a bunch of counseling that that I would have to be okay regardless of where they were. And I would have to lead them well, regardless of where they were. And I could not, my emotions, my leadership, mm. my feelings could not be dependent on theirs. And I would have to trust them with the Lord. And so uh, that would begin a process, a grief journey for me um, of just trusting them with God and trusting that God knew what he was doing. And that if he took their mom, 
he didn't stop loving them the moment he took their mom. He still loves them. He's still going to care for them. And so it's kind of funny. I think I've been a lot more hands off, but it's allowed them to be who they are and grieve the way they grieve. The thing about grief is it kind of never goes away. And every new place in my life leads to a new moment of grief for them, every new moment of their life. So graduations, birthdays, Easter, Mother's Day is coming up, like all these different yeah. things are moments where you walk through grief. I think it changes. I think you feel it less at times. But for me, um, what I've decided to do is just be their dad through their difficulties and be their dad through their dashed expectations and be their dad through their failures and be their dad through their changes and be their dad through every moment they walk through. Because really, grief is just um, dealing with lost expectations. You expected one thing, it changes. And it's really hard. And when that involves the loss of a mom or a loved one, it's pretty challenging. But ultimately, I've just decided to be their dad through it all, just to show up, to be present and um, apologize when I'm wrong, own my mistakes, and uh, just be as faithful as I can be. And uh, by God's grace, um, it's going okay right now. And uh, we're walking into a new season now. I'm actually engaged to be married. I'm in a really happy mm -hmm. place. I'm finding lots of joy where I am. But that's also meant new changes for them and challenges for them. Yeah. And so I'm walking with them through that. And uh, yeah, it just never, it, it never goes away. And so just owning it and not resenting it uh, is probably step number one. Just trusting that if God gave this to me, if he allowed this to happen, that he's He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna walk with me through it. And he's gonna equip me for every moment. So try to just stay in that. There is a lot of wisdom that you shared right there. Just, just <laughs> by God's grace, it's probably all through my mistakes. To be honest with you, but oh, thank you. Uh, I mean, from the starting of holding things with an open hand to learning to ask and listen. And I mean, I've got kids. I know how sometimes you can, you have to sit there a long time before they might open up. And yeah. uh, I, I can just, I can picture that. And then, and then the, the listening and uh, re realizing that, that our leadership, our, our leadership doesn't depend on how they feel about us at the time. Um, and I love what you said just about be their dad. That's, uh, I mean, that's, that's true as we walk through every stage, every stage with our kids, no matter, no matter wh where they're at. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Jonathan, uh, this has been super, super good, super, super helpful. I think uh, if you're listening to this, the audience, as you're listening to this, I think you can tell, you can just see Jonathan's passion coming out. And especially as he was sharing about his heart, about some of the lessons he's learned, really encourage you to do what I did and pick up, pick up his book, the, uh, uh, I wrote it down. I've got it. The winter, uh, my winter season, my winter season, Forget seeing God's that. faithfulness in the shadow of grief. No, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. My winter season. And like I said, I've started it I'm a few chapters in and it brought me to tears. Just, uh, just seeing how, how your willingness to share your story and willingness to share what you've learned. And, uh, initially I bought a Kindle copy, but I actually bought a hard copy as well. So I can, throw it on the counter at home and and uh, wow. see who else picks it up in the house so uh the audio version just came out uh yesterday too by the way so that's out there with my voice though it took a lot of time really? <laughs> yeah it was you. a very difficult thing to do but yeah thank you thank you yeah that's a that's a great milestone yeah well jonathan thanks so much for being with us today really really appreciate it if, if somebody wants to get a hold of you um, just to connect with you in any way, either about any of your ministries or even what you're doing with Dunham. How's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, best way for them to find me. Uh, for, so first of all, for girls like you is for girls like you.com. All the um, all the social medias are at for girls like you. 
Uh, for me personally, jonathanpitts.net kind of shares more about my book. And then uh, donovancompany.org is the company website. They can find my profile there and um, just find, uh, just contact info for me there as well. But it's been a real joy to be with you. And uh, it's fun to kind of share, I, you know, my, my life is this merger of vocational ministry, scaling ministry and yeah. my story. And so it's, uh, it's a fun, kind of fun way to, it's, I don't, I've not, I've not kind of done this um, kind of format before. So thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Really, really helpful. Take care. God bless you.